Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back everyone to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. I am feeling so grateful and so humbled today because today we have an episode all about taking a leave of absence as a survivor in grad school. Our special guest is Ana Ramirez. She is a sociocultural anthropology PhD student at UNC Chapel Hill. Her work focuses on indigenous women, gender-based violence, trauma, community and families, and healing. Anna's interested in an activist, community-based approach to research that's inspired by a Black feminist ethos and indigenous decolonial thinking. Ooh, I want to snap at that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll snap with you. (laughs) (laughs) And Anna's also currently taking a leave of absence, exploring different career paths and hiking with friends and family in her free time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Anna. I'm so happy to have you. Likewise, it's such a pleasure to be here. I've listened to your episode, so I'm so happy to be doing this with you. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So since you've listened, you know, typically I ask folks um, to get us started by sharing a little bit more about yourself, your background, your backstory, anything you're comfortable sharing, and, you know, what led you to pursuing a PhD program in anthropology of all uh, fields. And yeah, from there, we can see how we can go into the, the topic for today. Sure thing. Um, so I identify as an indigenous woman, and particularly Maya Cateca. And um, community has always been like a super big part of uh, growing up, like seeing my dad very involved and, um, I wasn't always very, um, I didn't always really embrace my indigenous identity until like my latter years in high school. And I think it really changed whenever uh, I met a lot of other indigenous women who had similar aspirations to myself. And I felt like I could see myself and I could see like, um, I don't know, I felt like power in numbers. And um, so I felt like in, I guess the context of it is like, I grew up in like rural North Carolina, predominantly white uh, with like a small like indigenous community around me. So uh, I ended up going to Brown University for undergrad and um, through a professor of mine that I really clicked with, he told me about the Mellon Mays undergraduate fellowship. So I got really involved. So I got, I applied and I got involved in their kind of like a pipeline program for students to get into basically start doing like graduate level research and get into PhD programs. And I um, I was drawn to anthropology from the beginning, partly because like I felt like anthropologists were the only ones initially who wrote about um, Maya peoples from Guatemala. And I felt like I never saw anything about people like myself, like written in books. And I felt like that was so appealing to me. And um, so basically my time in under doing undergraduate research, like I really went all in and learning more about um, what's been written about my peoples, what does that look like? And around the same time, I was also really involved with like a nonprofit off campus and they did a lot of 
Um, so it was, they worked with a lot of uh, actually Maya immigrants. So I felt like it was a really great way for me to have community. And they, they taught a lot of like English. So like English for uh, speakers of other languages and they use participatory education. Um, so the popular education. And uh, it was like, I felt like it started planting the seeds of like, how do you do like community informed research? What does that look like? And I felt like that was what I was really drawn to. And like, there's a strain within anthropology called activist anthropology that's very community informed. And that draws from like a black feminist ethos that you just like, that uses like decolonial thinking. And I was like, okay, cool. I finally found a place where I feel like, you know, I found like, you know, like, my discipline, but I feel like I found a place within that discipline where I feel like I can see myself here, like I can see myself growing here. So I took about a couple of years, a couple of time off uh, between undergrad and grad school. And that was just a time of figuring out a couple of things in life. And I just um, wasn't sure if I was ready to commit to a PhD program. And I always gotten the feedback that it's helpful to do like a gap year or two before you go into your PhD program to have some experience under your belt, especially since you'll be doing like field work. So it was just an opportunity to do a couple of different things. And um, yeah, so when the time I got, um, I guess, ready to apply, I um, looked for scholars who had like an interest, like I guess that kind of activist approach to research. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I came across my advisor and I ended up going to UNC Chapel Hill. Great. Um... Wow, I, I didn't realize that you were a Mellon fellow. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we have that connection. <laughs> oh, you're also a Mellon? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was part of the first cohort at UCLA, and I, I somehow I've uh, had several guests unintentionally be Mellon fellows who have come really? in as guests on the podcast. Wow. So uh, after yeah. after the episode, I'll tell you who they are. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's so interesting to hear kind of your path and, and the fact that you did take a gap year. I know that wasn't encouraged for, for me when I was in the program, the, the emphasis was really to go straight into graduate school. And then now you're in a doctoral program and you're also taking a leave of absence. And so I wanted, um, to segue into that topic just because I, have had several people reach out to me to ask me about that. And that's actually not something that I have direct experience with. I have experience with requesting accommodations, things like that, but not taking a leave of absence per se. And so I wanted to, maybe if you could tell us a little bit more, like what is a leave of absence and you know whatever you are comfortable sharing about what led you to taking a leave of absence. And then we can continue on with, with that sure. conversation from there. Yeah, um, so a leave of absence, at least at my institution, it's basically like a formal permission from the university to take time off. And that can be either six months up to 12 months. So I'm currently on a year leave of absence, so it's 12 months. So it started um, August of last year and it ends in July, so just before. And it's kind of um, during that time period, um, you, I mean, you still have access to the institution and like library if you want. And it's um, like, but you don't have to do um, anything related to your program. So like working mm -hmm. on your thesis or like working on your comprehensive exams, it's like this kind of like pause. And so I left as a third year and this would have been my fourth year, but whenever I return, it's gonna be considered like my fourth year. So it's just like a, like a timeout in a way. Yeah. And so it's, it works um, as a pause, you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 
So, um, and I felt like for me, I, um, I felt like there's many reasons why I took a leave of absence. I think one of them for definitely was reassessing just like what are my life and career goals, looking back into uh, my why in terms of why was I doing this PhD. And then also, um, most importantly, I think it was also, it was also for like mental health reasons. Like um, there was a, uh, yeah, I was sexually assaulted by um, someone that I considered a mentor and it became a Title IX case. And I, and I felt like what, like, what happened after is um, it just started taking the toll on me in my coursework. Like, uh, like I had to take like three incompletes for courses that I was taking and I felt like I was just falling behind. And there's just like, after something like that happens, it just, um, it's hard to focus, like put your foot forward, like, you know, on like coursework and things don't become, and it's hard to prioritize that anymore. So I felt like whenever I was contemplating doing the leave, I was thinking, figuring out like when to strategically do this, how to do this. And uh, I decided that um, I know that the leave was deciding if I want to continue with my PhD or not. So I decided to take the leave right after I finished defending my master's thesis because I didn't come in with the master's at, um, whenever I entered my PhD. And I wanted the opportunity that if I decide to leave then I know I can leave and not feel like I um, kind of like didn't get anything out of it. And right. I felt like it's going to help me be at peace. But I also know if I decide to return, I'm going to start right kind of basically working on my comprehensive exams. And I was sure of like the thesis that I was writing was like pulling on the literature that I wanted to do for my comprehensive exams and what I want to use. So, Wait, I, I so I'm sorry, <laughs> I wanted to ask. Um, well, first of all, I'm really sorry that you went through that. But I, I also wanted to ask. How did you find out about the leave of absence as an option? Because I think that for a lot of folks, if they go through an experience like that, right away, they might think straight, like either like we keep going or we like quit altogether, um, move on right. to something else. So it, was this something that like you received support through someone else and they offered that option or you just kind of looked it up yourself? How, how did you learn more about this, about the leave of absence as an option for you? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I felt like I didn't know that was an option. I, I didn't know anybody before me in my program or around me who ever took a leave of absence. And uh, I confided in someone who worked at the department of, I think, diversity and student success. And I just kind of mentioned, you know, I think I have to quit. And I just mentioned like, you know, I have three incompletes and I feel like I can't keep see myself going on like it's taking a toll on me and my mind you know and she mentioned like you know it did you know like leave of absences are mm -hmm. a thing or do you know that was an option and I was like what is that and she just explained that basically uh if there's extenuating circumstances and it doesn't have to be as extenuating my circumstances but it can be something like other mental health reasons or mm -hmm. someone you have to like tend to your family and you have to take time off like it can be different reasons and um you and the university my university at least is very flexible in giving students leaves of absence. Like after I took a leave of absence, I've had a couple of students in my department mm -hmm. take leaves and because they had other situations that needed to attend to. Yeah. And um, so after she mentioned that, it felt like that's kind of the path I wanted to take just because at that point I wasn't ready to have like a very black and white, like yes or no, mm -hmm. in terms of do I want to continue or do I want to drop out? And I felt like at the other side of things, like I felt like, um, Part of me wanted to take the time to re really reassess, like, 
do I want to do this PhD program? Like, I felt like I didn't want to give all the power to the person who hurt me. Like, I felt mm-hmm. like I wanted to feel like I was, you know, at a place where I was like healed enough or I was well enough to really think like, you know, how can the PhD help me or not in my career goals or my life goals? And I felt like the only way I was really able to answer that question is if I'm able to put a pause around all the noise around me mm-hmm. and the expectations of, you know, of my department and of my advisors and be like, you know, what are my goals? You know, what are the things that I want? You know, and I felt like since then, I felt like belief has been really helpful in like making things very clear. Like I, I'm still not at decision point, but I, but I'm getting, but I have an idea of where it's going to lean, but um, I feel like it, it was helpful for me to feel like I was coming from a place that felt more like I had that autonomy. Like I had that, you know, that power in my hands. I felt like I was taking something back. Um, and I felt like it was very much a good option to me for me to think clearly and to make a decision that's better for me. I am, um, I'm glad that you mentioned that it was someone that told you about this as an option, because again, I think a lot of folks don't realize that this is an option at every institution. It just may look differently in terms of the, the minor kind of details, the policies. Um, but also I wanted to, I'm thinking from the perspective of a student who might be debating this and might have a lot of questions. So like when I, if, if I were a student, I wanted to take a leave of absence, my question to you would be like, under what circumstances can people take leave of absence where it's considered a justifiable reason? Like, what is the actual process like? Do they require a lot of paperwork? Because I know like, um, this is thinking about something else, but like when you request um, accommodations, you have to have a medical note, you have to have things like that to, to support that. And then is there anything that you're cut off from in terms of resources and things like that, that maybe might make a student rethink taking a leave of absence? Because I'm thinking I myself, I would be worried, what if they um, no longer provide me with health care? Or because I'm taking a leave of absence, maybe I'm not going to be receiving a stipend for the year that I'm taking a leave of absence or what else? Um, There's just so many things. If I live in graduate student Mm -hmm. housing or family housing or whatever, university housing, are they going to kick me out for those 12 months? I know you might not have the answers to all these questions. And again, it's very university specific, but I would love to know just the answers that you know, at least in your experience and from your Mm -hmm. university have you, you know, what are some of the things that you had to plan for in advance? Like, let's say if the health insurance or, you know, I don't know, stipend wise or um, anything else in terms of the actual process of applying? Yeah, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because I honestly planned for my leave of absence almost like a year and a half in advance oh like, wow oh yeah, I have no idea yeah, I'm glad yeah, I asked too yeah I thought I what like, if someone wants to do it and they're like I want to do it now <laughs> I wanted to oh, and I felt oh. like and I felt like I could have but I felt like the reason why I waited so long was partly because um I wanted to have my master's done like I wanted like a good stopping point mm-hmm. and I felt like I wanted to be in a good stopping point that if I decide to leave that I could leave and be at peace but if I decide to return like then I know where to pick up Mm-hmm. But I felt like that was a decision for myself. And I think other people, depending on their, their circumstances and how extenuating they are, it can be more pressing. And that, that makes total sense. But um, I felt like, so 
with that, um, I don't know, like, and then there's like other tricky things also. Like I felt like even like whenever I came to like picking my committee members for my thesis, I was careful. I didn't share that I was going on a leave until after I defended my thesis and it passed just because I know that there's very, diff um, at least my department, like there's um, prof it's, professors are known to have different reaction when students leave the program temporarily or completely. Right. And I just didn't want that to be held against me. Mm -hmm. And um, they were all supportive, but um, with taking a leave of absence, um, there's definitely um, not that much paperwork. It's honestly just like a couple of forms. And basically it's just um, writing. Uh, it doesn't have to be too in detail, but like what are the reasons, circumstances in which you wanna leave? and um I didn't go that much into detail um I felt like with a couple of mm -hmm. trusted like my advisors or certain people um like the head of my the chair of my department had to sign off I did um and people were pretty supportive and I feel that um so and it's just getting like basically uh, the approval of the chair of my department and also my advisor to sign off and um so I had to be sure that was kind of kind of known. And then I just had to, because uh, I had a couple of uh, fellowships, like I had a um, fellowship at my university. So I had to let th them know. And I also received the four predoctoral during my first year. So I also had to kind of let them know that I'll be like taking this time off. So in some ways, it's just kind of um, looking at like, where it is that you're getting your money in some ways mm -hmm. for your like um, grad student stipend and making sure that those people know. But um, on a leave, at least for me, like I, you know, I'm not receiving my stipend. So that also means like not receiving healthcare. And um, yeah, so I felt like that because I knew planning like a year and a half in advance, like I um, kind of like tried to save some of my like grad student yeah, stipend yeah. money, you know, just be like very kind of uh, careful with how I was spending and just so that way I had some money to kind of help me whenever to transition from being in my program to my leave. And um, almost immediately, that's kind of whenever I almost started career planning and um, just kind of started connecting with um, like folks at the career center at my university and just kind of begin to get that other part of my leave, like reassessing, like what are my career and life goals going as well? But um, yeah, it's, um, I, I don't think it has to take as long as it took for me, like about a year and a half. Like I think, like I said, it took that mostly because I wanted to have my master's before I went on leave and that's kind of where the year came from. But um, I, I've helped a friend, get, um, she had her own reasons and I think she went on leave like about a month before, you know, like she talked to me and a month later she was mm -hmm. on leave. So I know it can be varied and, um, but that's kind of how it was for me. It sounds like it can be a straightforward process. I, I, I didn't hear you say that you needed any um, supporting documentation from like a doctor or a therapist or anything like that um, to again, quote unquote, justify. Uh, I get, I, I, I do quote, quotes because I know that that can be problematic even having to get documentation because who has access to that, you know, to doctors and sometimes doctors don't believe you, et cetera. Um, but I'm glad that it was, you, you submitted the paperwork, you need to get someone to sign off on it. Um, and then it's really just a matter of the planning. So, mm -hmm. you know, planning for not having access to healthcare or stipend, but that would be similar if you left the program altogether, you would start to right. figure out like, how do I pay my bills? How do I access healthcare? Um, but it's just doing that for that pause for the, the period of your pause. And you took advantage of that 
or you've been taking advantage of that time by focusing on your career planning. So you mentioned some of the maybe tricky things about going through the process of, um, of applying and getting the, the leave, of making it official. Now, um, what have been the, some of the things that you've gained during this leave of absence? It, you know, what are some things that you've learned or um, I'm trying to think of like the benefits of taking a leave of absence? Like why might someone consider it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I felt like, um, I feel like I'm at a different place that I was before I went on leave and, you know, it hasn't been even a year. And I think um, I felt like I was running on empty, you know, and I just felt like if I would continue I felt like this could become like chronic health problems. Like, you know, like mm. this PTSD isn't gonna go away. Like this back problem is gonna keep on, you know, it's gonna it's gonna affect me in the long run. And I felt like, um, and I felt like I, and I felt like there's, I don't know, like kind of like social cost of taking a leave because I felt like it's frowned upon. Like, it's just, I felt like there's this unsaid thing of you can't handle the pressure of academia. And I think I've had other people in my life kind of just really, kind of mention it in another way of just like, for example, if you underwent like a very bad car crash and it had like physical effects on your body, then people would be more understanding of that. So similar to like what it is that you underwent, you know, mm-hmm. like it has, you know, it has a toll. Yeah. So I think like seeing it that way kind of helped me just really kind of quiet down any of those voices and just any of those thoughts. And um, it's been really positive. I feel like where I'm at, I, f- I feel very whole. I feel very balanced. I feel like I have very clear ideas of what it is that I want. And um, I felt like, it's very interesting. Like whenever I went into my PhD program, I actually went with the intention of not being like a tenure track faculty member. I've been working in nonprofits for a while and I've um, my approach to doing like nonprofit work, especially programming, was to be very community informed. So mm-hmm. like I remember when I was working in Kansas City in a nonprofit, we were thinking of developing some kind of youth program. And um, we had like people at this meeting to like be community informed, but they're all like uh, like white people in their 50s, 40s and 50s trying to decide what to, in this neighborhood it was like predominantly black and brown. And I uh, got suggested like, why don't we talk to the kids that we're planning to do this for? Mm -hmm. So I ended up like doing like lots of like interviews, talking with people and just got a lot of feedback. And it, and I really liked the work that I did. And I felt like um, I did a lot of like community informed um, kind of like research with my programming mm-hmm. and the work that I've done in nonprofits. And, but I felt like that got me so far. Like I felt like in the nonprofit world, I felt that even though this was my approach, I felt like I almost kind of often they, the folks I worked with in nonprofit leaned heavily on consultants. Mm. And I felt like my experience or expertise wasn't legitimized. And I felt like I wanted to be a community researcher. Like I wanted yeah. that legitimization. I felt like being a brown woman in this world, I feel like kind of like I'm not taken seriously. And I saw the yeah. PhD as a legitimizer, a way to do the work that I know I'm really good at and I can do. And that's kind of why I found like a kind of more of an activist anthropology strain. Like um, there's like a, community of folks who do like uh, participatory research in my, at my university. And those are people like I got involved with. And so I just kind of give that context to say that even before my PhD, my intention was to work more in this kind of community informed research space. But in my PhD, I felt like I lost track of my goals. I felt mm-hmm. like all of a sudden, I felt like I had to perform and like, you know, like look to 
writing in like high impact journals, look to all these presentations, like look to like, like I felt like my goals were thrown to the side. And I felt like somehow the goals of being a tenure track professor, even though that's not what I wanted, nor is it what I want now became like in the center. And I was like, how did that happen? Like but also, how, how like, did you undo that? How did you see outside of that? That's what I'm curious. <laughs> and the leave. And I guess I say this to say like, yeah. I felt like the leave of absence gave me that clarity to be like, wait, what are my career and life goals? Like, you know, why is it that like, I felt like, I don't know, like the university's goals and dreams of what it is I should be or as what I should be as a good grad student felt like became my goals, but that's not even what I wanted in the first place. And, you know, I tell a couple of people that, you know, I joined my PhD program because I saw the PhD as a tool, but yeah. along the way I forgot what I was, my why, and I felt like I became the tool. Oh my goodness. Um, What you're saying resonates with me and so many people that I know and that I've talked to because a lot of us go into the PhD not necessarily intending to become professors. And then um, depending on which program you're at, you know, most most programs are research-based. That's, you know, what you're getting the PhD for. Because of the apprenticeship model that is part of academia you're getting trained to become a professor and it's it's hard like I went in thinking I was going to become a community college professor teacher of some sort and then I I on my way out was like oh I guess I have to be a research one professor I have to be a professor yeah. of top program and get a tenure track job when I was like oh maybe I'll be a, a community college professor or maybe I'll be a staff member and all of that went it was just there was only one option and I hear that time and time again. Now, so many folks, they start out thinking, I need the PhD to legitimate what I do, to be taken seriously, for, uh, for me to be able to learn the skill set that I need to advance in my career. And then they get derailed in the grad program from that original thing that they wanted to do. And I'm like, how can we, like, is, I wonder if there is a way to, preserve that original goal or the like reminding yourself why you're doing it to begin with because that could be the reason to keep you going or that could be the reason to have you take a leave about that could be the reason to have you leave altogether because then you realize actually never mind I may not need it after all um I'm sorry I just went on a rant because what you said just really like (laughs) it's one of those things that I'm like oh it gets me frustrated because I can see it because I'm outside of it too. Just like when I moved outside of the United States, I realized how toxic the US is and how toxic hyper-capitalistic workaholic culture is after having moved to another country where the pace is slower and people, quite frankly, don't care what you do for a living. No one's ever asked me what I do for a living here. It's so refreshing. (laughs) So refreshing. Nobody cares because they just like, care about you as a human you know it's like oh what do you like do you like coffee do you it was like no one asks you what you do in fact it might even be considered rude to ask people so what do you do (laughs) (laughs) I see you as someone who doesn't necessarily have to always be productive um Mm. but yeah it's just it's it's so powerful what you're saying about how taking this leave of absence having a pause having a moment outside of the institution has allowed you to see more clearly and think. Um, I don't know how to. How, yeah. I don't even know how to put it into words. Yeah, like, it's like fine. You're you're reminded of like this is why I'm. I did it to begin with, or maybe maybe uh, things have shifted for you. I'm not sure, 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. It's so true. And I feel like it's, uh, I don't know. It's sometimes I, I feel like there's quite a lot of gaslighting that happens mm-hmm. at the university. And I think yes. sometimes I feel like the apprenticeship model sometimes feels more like grooming, mm. you know, like where you're not allowed to like really pursue what it is that you want, but you're kind of like, to think a particular way or to want a certain thing and I feel like it's just to kind of keep the corporate university intact and to affirm you know oh like, but if you tell uh, someone in it that it's a corporate university hypercapitalistic neoliberal model when they themselves are the ones uh critiquing, exactly but they're like critiquing all they're like that. oh you sold out oh now you're in business oh how you're that, that is that is not yeah. ethical for you to do this and this and this and I'm like how is it any different from what you're doing like we exactly. all have to pay our bills and we have to d- decide what we want and what we're willing yes. to do but th- I, I just don't understand you're right like this whole mo- model of thinking that you're better than anything outside of right. academia which right. I've into definitely. that <laughs> definitely and I think honestly um almost like before I started my leave I had a good friend a friend of mine from um from my PhD program recommend a book called like work won't love you back and it was super helpful just to kind of really like set the tone of what it is that I was looking for and I think for me it was I felt like I started my leave to really figure out like you know like what you know um you know, like, what are my values? Like, what are the things that I want to work for? And I think kind of getting away from the university and kind of getting away from the workaholism of my colleagues kind of like helped me realize, I'm like, you know, I want balance in my life. Like, you know, I want work-life balance, you know? Like I want, you know, like I'm an avid hiker. I, I live in like uh, North Carolina and I um, actually went and like looked at like, so like my thing is like, I like hiking and I look like looking for waterfalls. So I did oh. that two times this weekend and I'm going to do that this mm-hmm. weekend too. And, you know, like I want to like actually right now, like build the life that I want, you yes. know, like, and I, you know, and there's certain things, you know, like I, I want the autonomy to live where, like to live where I want to live rather mm-hmm. than be like my whole career be dependent on like, for example, where there's like an R1 mm-hmm. university and, um, I want the opportunity to like, not like take work home, you know, like I don't want my identity to be built around that. And I felt like being able to like really figure out like, cause I think my mindset for some reason, I, like I said, like my idea wasn't to be a professor but I think how things started shifting was like, I felt like it was all bundled up in professorship, like right. my advocacy, my community work, my identity as an indigenous woman, my research and being told constantly, like, we need people like you like this, mm. like the university's going to change it. And it's like, what? Like, no. Like, and then there's like, a guilt like, tripping. Yeah. <laughs> like, guilt tripping you know, we of need like, you we like need this. you. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes hearing that from students that I think are well-meaning, but it's kind of like, like, I am like running on empty. I can't keep mm. doing this. Like, this is having like actual, like physiological effects on my body and I can't mm-hmm. keep doing this. And this is, you know, and I felt like I really wanted to like be clear about what are the things I want. And I felt like one of the other things I want is like, I want generational wealth. Like, you know, I don't come from a family of generational wealth and I want to build that for myself in my future. Can I and just like- say how powerful it is for you as an indigenous mujer to say you want generational wealth and you want that, you know, for the generations after you, because we all deserve it, but especially as an indigenous mujer. So, okay, that's it. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, I want to pass that. I just want to say yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I felt like I, you know, and I can't wait or be in a situation where like the job market isn't 
good and be expected like you know things are going to work out like you know I was always told like you're going to be like you know you're going to find a job like you're going to you're going to be a shoe in and like look at the statistics you know like and I felt like I was for some reason with like academia like I was relying on feelings like you know like oh it's going to work out and those things rather than actually looking at the statistics like you know looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics like the job growth is hardly like it's very little and Mm -hmm. there are other industries or other rules that are much more like fruitful like there's much more opportunities and I think I'm coming from a place of like you know I actually have um kind of like spreadsheets where I like have things rated and like you know what does the work-life balance look like in this career what does like the job growth look like what is um is there stability and I think that's kind of I'm trying to think look at things clearly now Mm -hmm. and not and just um like I said I think balance is really what I want like balance to build the life that I want to build that generational wealth to have time with family and friends to go hiking and look for waterfalls to do these other things that are so important to me and I feel like I don't know I feel like I think it's kind of funny we say like work-life balance and it seems like it's like you know like work and life like they're two things but it's like work life family friends like community work advocacy like there's so much other things you know and work is a part of it and Mm -hmm. I feel like it's you know, I'm still figuring out what that's going to look like. Um, but um, I think for me, balance is very much kind of like the key word there. I'm really excited. I am inspired by hearing about you and your experience and just how far you've come in taking this leave of absence, because I can imagine that at the start of this, you probably were not <laughs> thinking all of these things so that's huge that's huge growth I I'm like I just I I, I'm just meeting you and I'm already so proud of you (laughs) but also I think that the folks who listen to this podcast and listen to you and everything that you've shared um they're going to resonate with something that you've said and you're going to inspire them too to really rethink like what am I doing and is this in alignment with my values and how do I want to live my life And who am I outside of what I do, you know, at school, if they're an undergrad or a grad student. Um, So I want to get close to the second to last question, which is advice, advice for folks who are listening or folks who may be in a similar spot where they're running on empty, where they might be struggling with their mental health, their physical health, or something else that might be going on with them where they feel like they, they could benefit from taking a pause in their program. So what what kind of advice would you give to folks who are debating this at this time? Yeah, I think, um, I guess, uh, basically, I don't know. I think that what comes to mind is like, um, you don't have to be like a superhero. Like you don't have to be one to like carry all of this Mm -hmm. by yourself. And I think for me, like, opening up to like trusted people and I felt like there's some people that you know it just I opened up but it didn't really anywhere but you know I think opening up that I needed something like there's something I needed and I felt like I finally found someone whenever like the person um Kathy was her is her name told me like you know leave up this is an option and I was like I had no idea and I felt like connecting with other people just kind of helped me find resources like you know I opened up to someone and they mentioned like there's this resource to help pay for like people who are survivors and pay for therapy you know and like that helped me whenever just kind of as I was in grad school kind of getting the help I needed because I was like this I'm not going to take the leave until a year and a half later so how am I going to take care of myself now Mm -hmm. you know like now and for the future and I think opening up helped me find resources helped me find friends and helped me but kind of build a community to kind of like keep myself afloat and I think um 
and I guess I say opening up just because if a leave of absence is something you're thinking about, like it's not an easy decision to make and it, it helps to have people to like share your, mm-hmm. what's going on, share your experiences and know that you're not alone. And even as I was like kind of opening up, um, like I found like this like vast literature written about like, um, like um, sexual assault that happens in academia that happens, you know, like I, a lot of it's actually written by black women, like by black feminists. And I think one of the things that um, they were commenting on is like sometimes women of color are very uh, susceptible or vulnerable to this because um, the so what happens, uh, I don't remember the name of the article, but I can share it with you later is, um, there are folks who have more of a predatory mindset and when there's like someone who's young who's a woman who's looking for help some people take advantage of that and that's right. what happened to me you know someone who was older than me something that I really admired and I was so excited to work with him and you know he took advantage of that so I and so even like the act of opening up and like looking for even like relevant literature because mm-hmm. I guess as a researcher that's what I do for my own healing just help me realize like you know I'm definitely not alone like there's ways to persist and if I decide to like continue on with my PhD like I feel like I'm continuing on as a survivor like I'm not like you know and I feel like if I decide to leave then you know I'm leaving because I have all these reasons my maybe my career reasons or my life Mm -hmm. other life reasons and you know I feel like I'm not just reacting to what happened solely but you know but I have all these other reasons of why I want to continue or why I don't want to continue and I feel like I it feels really good to be where I'm at and like have you know and then like know that even like the bad like that that action that happened towards me like that doesn't have to define me like that's not you know I'm not going to give that power to that one person to define my whole life or my my career or my life trajectory so I guess what I would say is just like um don't be afraid to open up it may be it won't be easy but I think you'll find a lot of like allies and comrades around along the way and um, maybe a leave is what one what you need or maybe even like accommodations. I actually had accommodations for a while during my year and a half um, that I was still working on my thesis. And like, you know, there's ways around, like, I think there's different tools mm-hmm. that are available for you. And it's just figuring out like, you know, what are those tools or what are those combination of tools that you need? And I think for me, that was what really helped me realize that, you know, it's not always black and white, like, you know, I'm, I feel this way, it's overwhelming. I either quit or continue and, and continue with and maybe have chronic health problems. You know, like there's yeah. ways in between and maybe you don't see people taking advantage of those other souls, but don't be afraid to be the one who does it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like you're the one who's like living your life. And I think for me, I just want to do what was better for me. And I'm so grateful I did. It sounds like connecting, opening up to others, having this time to reflect um that and already being someone who has advocated for yourself in the past like you said you have these accommodations and um, that's all kind of like helped you get to this point to the space and place of of healing and growth um i just want to thank you i know that uh there might be folks who want to reach out to you and if they do if they want to connect if they want to maybe ask a follow-up question uh, is there a place for them to reach you? Uh, yeah, email would be best. And if they're on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is also really great too. Definitely I, LinkedIn. Yeah. I can yeah, add the LinkedIn uh, link. Yeah. And then if there okay. was any thing that you mentioned, like um, one of the articles that you said um, about um, just like predatory behavior, incidents of, of sexual um, abuse and 
um, anything that has helped you in your own healing journey of just learning, reading, navigating this process. Yeah. Happy to add that to the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Anna, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure having you on and, and speaking with you. It, it feels like just talking to just a comadre or someone who's <laughs> yes. not really comfortable talking to you. We're comadriando, right? <laughs> exactly. Definitely. But also like, these are the platicas. These are the conversations that folks have behind closed doors that we don't often have enough in, in public spaces. And if more folks knew that these conversations were happening, then I think more of us would be getting the help and support that we need. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your experience, your wisdom, your knowledge, todo. Thank you so much. Yes, of course, such a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you would like additional support as you navigate your educational trajectory, then sign up for my free 15-page grad school femtoring resource kit. This 15-page kit includes essential information such as organizational tools, research resources, my own email organizing system, info on how to apply to grad school, as well as how to manage your grad school and career outcomes, and much more. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtoring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtoring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcast and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.